Hi everyone, Philip Sutka here. I have a small favor to ask. I recently updated the Dark River website and with it launched a new mailing list for the podcast. An email list is any author or podcaster's superpower. It's the most direct way that creators such as myself can connect with their audience. I have an exciting announcement coming soon and would like to share it with you first. And I'm going to need your help in launching this new development. So if you would be so kind... Go to darkriver.ca and access the hidden episode at the top of the homepage to sign up for the mailing list. Not only will you be the first to know about updates, but you'll also have access to a behind-the-scenes look at how I created each of the stories. If you try it for a bit and decide that it's not for you, you can easily unsubscribe at the bottom of any of the emails. Believe me, I will not take offense. I will just be so thankful that you were willing to give it a shot in the first place. So head over to darkriver.ca, access the hidden episode, and join the ghosts in uncovering the town's secrets before anyone else. And now, on with today's story. Thank you for joining me in this strange small town in northern Ontario. My name is Philip Psutka. If this is your first time visiting, I'll be your guide. If you're a familiar face, it's good to have you back. The town embraces newcomers and old friends alike. But be warned, it doesn't easily let you go. So dim the lamps, settle in. Welcome to Dark River. The Harmony Theater stood dead center on Main Street. Its beautiful white exterior shone next to the tavern and shops like a beacon to anyone in need of a reprieve from the hardships of everyday life. A balcony above the front entranceway looked out onto the street and a large sign hung below it that said, Harmony Theatre, Grand Productions, Lavish Entertainment. It truly was a fulcrum for the community, both in its function and its location. Arts and culture were an integral part of life in northern Ontario. As so many people from different backgrounds converged to try to build a life for themselves, they needed things outside of work to bring them together. Some of the more rural families kept to themselves, but many continued with the spirit and tradition of life in the north throughout the 1800s. If you weren't trading or hunting, you were drinking and dancing to release the pressure built up by months of hard work. And what dances they were! Many were themed to give even more of a sense of unity and fun. From the classic Christmas dance to the necktie dance, where men all had to match miniature neckties pinned to their lapels with one hidden in a lunchbox held by the ladies. They even had stag dances, where men would arrive adorned in women's dresses and hats, comically parading themselves around. And what's a dance without music? Fiddle and flute were the two most popular instruments, as both gave a light and lively ambiance. Both were also easily portable, which made them ideal for bringing everywhere a dance could be held, 
from outdoor picnics to Barker's Farm for their famous Halloween and Christmas parties. One fiddler in particular was making a name for himself in Dark River, Tom Bigar. Originally from Great Britain, his family landed on Manitoulin Island in northern Ontario with the flood of immigrants that came in the 1860s to work for the Hudson's Bay Company. Tom set out on his own just as the rail lines had expanded further north and decided to make Dark River his home. He found work in the pulp and paper mill, but also found time for his true passion and would practice every chance he got. He was considered odd by many in the community. He lived alone and had no intention of marrying. Yet he was extremely social and would often peruse the shops or just walk along Main Street chatting with anyone he came across. Everyone came to know him and many came to like him. It wasn't long before someone figured out that he played the fiddle, and sure enough he was invited to the next dance, and every other dance after that, for he had accumulated an impressive repertoire of music, waltzes and airs, jigs and reels, hornpipes and marches. Soon afterwards, the theater opened, and Tom inevitably got pulled into accompanying various productions and concerts held there. He became so popular that he even gave the occasional concert himself from time to time. His experience playing at dances taught him how to build a rapport with the crowd, throwing funny little anecdotes in between songs, and mimicking various sounds and animals on the violin, which the kids always loved. The most popular were a duck and a train whistle. And it was one of these concerts at the Harmony Theatre that Tom was preparing for now. He arrived at the theatre just past eight. It was Thursday night, and even though it was getting later into the evening, Main Street was busy and the tavern across from the theatre looked full. People were out and about, enjoying the summer air, the excitement from the growing city seemed to amplify with every passing week. As Tom approached the theater, he smiled, taking in the atmosphere around him. Bill Francis, the head technician for the theater, was always at the entrance smoking his pipe, ready to let Tom in for these rehearsals. Tom never required any special lighting or technical elements for his performances. A spotlight usually did the trick. One of his favorite aspects about this rehearsal the night before was getting to do something that most of the other attractions in the theater missed out on, rehearsing next to the ghost light. A classic superstition, this light was left on in the theater when all other lights were out. It stood in the middle of the stage, glowing quietly and steadily all night for any spirits or ghosts that might want to find their way to center stage to partake in their own performances while others weren't around. Despite the fact that the theater was new, and there had been no sightings or any kind of ghostly activity yet, the ghost light was immediately implemented, for to avoid doing so was to ask for trouble. Tom loved this tradition and secretly hoped that when he died, 
he might come back as a ghost and continue his friendly revels in the theater. Such thoughts, though, were not popular at the time for religious reasons, so he kept them to himself. He did, however, let them bring a smile to his face now. Bill was standing like usual at the entrance to the theater, smoking his pipe. Evening, Bill, said Tom. Mighty fine one, isn't it? Bill smiled and nodded, but didn't say anything. Smoke curled out his nostrils and hung in the air, clouding his face. A breeze blew down the street, yet the entranceway seemed to be sheltered from it, for the smoke continued its slow expansion upward before dissipating. Shall we? said Tom, gesturing to the door. Bill unlocked the door and entered, still smoking his pipe. Tom followed. Although Tom had been in the lobby numerous times, it never failed to take his breath away. Like any structure built to impress, be it the theater or the fancy mansions on Richmond's line, the decor was striking. The Victorian era had just passed, but its influence was abundant. Both the lobby and the grand stairs leading up to the balcony were decked out in lavish opulence. Colors, tassels, and frills were everywhere to be seen. It truly gave anyone who could afford to see a simple performance the chance to feel like royalty for a night. Tom got the best of both worlds. He would often come in as an audience member, but also got to experience the backstage area as a performer, which was an entirely different experience. While everything was brightly colored and lit out in the house, darkness and shadows ruled backstage. Great ropes fed through pulleys attached to the ground and disappeared into the black void of the fly gallery. Thick curtains swayed gently, signaling the quiet passing of figures from stage right to stage left behind it, like apparitions rippling a page. And the longer you stayed back there, the more your eyes adjusted to the blackness, and a dark world would materialize in front of you. Tom followed Bill through the lobby to the orchestra seating on the main level of the theater. Hundreds of plush red seats filled the space, each one empty. The electric house lights were dimly lit just enough for them to find their way down the aisle towards the stage. The ghost light was waiting for him. It stood center stage, its dim glow both welcoming and oddly threatening at the same time. Tom, being a lover of folklore and the brothers' grim fairy tales, couldn't get enough of this ambiance. It was always his request after they had secured the spotlight to let him rehearse next to the ghost light in near darkness. It was strangely comforting, like being in the company of all the other artists that had ever performed on the stage. I'll tune up and then we can get started, said Tom, leaping up onto the stage and nearly tripping over a ladder that had been left lying on its side. When Bill didn't respond, Tom turned back to find the theater empty. It was as if the darkness had swallowed the technician whole. Tom felt his mouth go dry. 
Bill? he said. A wisp of a shadow appeared near the back of the balcony, and Tom jumped. Then he heard something, a slow, creaking sound coming from somewhere out in the darkness. All of a sudden, Tom was blinded by a flash of bright light. He shielded his face with his hands and stepped to the side, tripping over his violin case. Only then did he see that the beam was coming from the balcony, and Bill was standing behind the spotlight, awaiting instructions. "'You gave me a right fright there,' said Tom, with a nervous laugh. The only sound that greeted him was his own echo. "'Center is just fine,' said Tom. The light shifted slightly, and the ghost light was bathed in harsh white. Tom opened up his case and removed his bow. He twisted the knob at the end of it, slowly applying tension to the bowstring, and then tested it on the back of his hand. He pulled out the block of rosin and primed the bow. Then he gently lifted his violin out of the case. It was a lean German women's violin, perfect for his body type. It fit under his chin as if it had been crafted to be there. His father had passed it down to him, and it was nearly a hundred years old. It had outlived all of the people in his life. Strange and wonderful that such a beautifully crafted object could remain in its prime on this earth long after those who crafted or played it passed on. Ghosts lived in its strings, spirits in its body. Tom and his fiddle stepped into the light. Instantly it had the effect of putting him in his own universe, for it blacked out everything around him, including the seats in the auditorium. Tom lifted the bow to the A string and drew a long stroke. He struck the tuning fork against the edge of the instrument and held it to his ear, drawing the bow again. Slightly flat. He let the bow glide across the string as he adjusted the tuning peg at the scroll at the end of the violin with his left hand. The pitch swayed above and below his target until he landed on it. Then he tuned D off the A, G off the D, and finally the high E. Perfect harmony. Grounded and ready, he struck up a reel and let the notes dance across the open air of the theater. The ghost light shone on next to him. And then it flickered, though he was too involved in his playing to notice. The figure at the top of the balcony faded from view. The song picked up speed, and the bow flew across the strings. His eyes remained on the contact point between the bow and the strings, and he was so focused that he didn't notice that the house lights were beginning to dim. Down, 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 out. The house went black, and it was just Tom in his pool of light on the stage, with only the ghost light to keep him company. He finished with a flourish and allowed the final notes to echo into the space. The acoustics were wonderful. The sound was clean. Then all was silent. He launched into a call-and-answer song. This was one of his favorites to perform as he would have the audience sing the melody back to him in between phrases, 
He loved this shared energy. Nothing was like being in a large communal space, inspiring people to join in and do things that they'd never consider doing in their everyday life. And it was when he came to the first call-and-answer phrase in the piece that he began to suspect that something was very wrong. He finished the phrase and gave the slightest pause to accommodate the audience and was about to launch back in when he heard something familiar. It was the sound of his playing echoing back to him, but not as a natural echo would. This echo started in its own time after a brief pause. He shook his head. He must have misheard. He continued playing. When the next phrase finished, he paused briefly and was about to start back up when the echo came again, but this time it came back as a variation on his phrase. The violin slipped out from under his chin, and he just managed to catch it before it hit the stage. The echo stopped, and all was silence once again. Hello, he said. Surely there must be someone else rehearsing for tomorrow's performance, and they were playing a joke on him. You can join me on the stage, said Tom to the blackness, attempting a chuckle. (laughs) There's enough room for both of us. Still, there was no answer. Tentatively, he drew the bow across the open A string. Nothing. Until the A repeated back. He tried the D string. Same thing. A slight delay, but the echo was there. Finally, he drew a long, low G and waited with bated breath. When the echo came back to him this time, it was a high trill on the E string that grew louder and louder. Tom stumbled back, stepping out of the spotlight. The blackness enveloped him, and his eyes strained to adjust. Suddenly, as quickly as it had started, the trill abruptly stopped, and Tom was left in the empty theater in silence once again. Tom's breath rose in his ears. His chest heaved as his heart pounded. Despite the vast size of the theater, the blackness pressed the walls in upon him, and he was rooted to the spot. Fear had descended, blanketing the space and heightening every one of his senses. He could hear the slightest noise, and an unnatural silence hung in the space, as if the air had thickened, sucking up all the sound. The curtains behind Tom rippled. They settled again. Then they slowly began extending out towards the fiddler. Still trying to peer through the blackness in front of him, Tom finally found his legs under him and tentatively took a step towards the edge of the stage. The curtains followed him. Tom passed through the spotlight towards the edge of the stage. The curtains crept into the light behind him. The darkness of the theater was so intense that Tom had to slowly feel the way in front of him lest he should walk right off the edge. Afraid that he might do just that, Tom stopped. The curtains in the spotlight halted for a brief second. Then 
they reached for Tom. Finally finding his voice and trying to sound as light-hearted as possible, he said, Did we lose power? But he could see that the spotlight in the balcony was still on. Where was Bill? It wasn't like him to set a light and leave. Tom decided that he would finish rehearsing and see himself out. He had had enough for one night. He turned back to the spotlight and screamed. Thank you for listening thus far. In a moment, we'll return to the dark stage. But first, I'd like to let you know that we have new original spooky stories coming every three weeks. So follow the show on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. If you enjoy your time in this haunting town, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or through our new website, darkriver.ca. I'd also like to take a moment to say a big thank you to the Region of Waterloo Arts Fund for supporting this episode and the show in general. Their generous funding truly keeps the arts alive in this region, especially when it's most needed, as it is throughout the past year and a half in this time of isolation. But now, let's peer into the spotlight. Tom decided that he would finish rehearsing and see himself out. He had had enough for one night. He turned back to the spotlight and screamed. Bill was standing there, looking at him. Tom hadn't heard the technician approach, let alone cross the stage. What really unnerved him was that Bill didn't have his usual cheerful expression on his face. He looked lost. Well croaked Tom. I think I have everything I need. Bill didn't move. Are you good? Bill didn't move. All right, I'll just gather up my things and I can let you get back to your evening. No movement. No acknowledgement. Bill appeared as if he hadn't heard a word Tom said. Tom shifted slightly to his left and the technician's eyes didn't follow him. Do you need help? asked Tom. No response. Tom slowly crossed to his violin case just outside the spotlight. Bill continued staring straight ahead at the spot where Tom had stood a few moments before. Strangely, though, although he knew Bill wasn't looking at him, Tom still felt as if he was being watched. As quickly as he could, he put his fiddle away, not even bothering to loosen the hairs on his bow before securing it to the inside of the case. He picked it up and turned back around to leave. Bill was still standing in the spotlight. His body was still facing downstage, but his head was turned fully around directly towards Tom and was tilted at an unnatural angle. His eyes were wide as if he had just experienced a sudden shock, and the light behind them was gone. He gaped at Tom, his jaw working up and down. Tom leapt off the stage and was already running down the aisle and out into the lobby. His terror heightened when the front door came in view, as he had a brief thought that it might be locked. 
blood pounding in his ears, he ran full tilt into the door and put his entire body weight behind it as he turned the knob. The door opened easily, and he fell out into the street. Frantically, he picked himself up and took off into the night, never once looking back behind him. The ghoulish eyes burned into his memory and haunting him all the way home. It wasn't until the next day that he heard about Bill's disappearance. No one had seen the technician all day the evening of Tom's rehearsal. Bill didn't come home to his family that night. When the theater staff arrived the next morning, they found the front door unlocked. The lights were off in the lobby. They called out for Bill, but there was no answer. They spread out to search for him and to begin their opening duties. Then a scream came from the theater, and the rest of the staff rushed in. They found Bill's body on the stage next to a toppled ladder. His head was twisted at a horrible angle, his neck broken. When the doctor arrived and examined the body, he speculated that Bill must have been dead for over 24 hours long before Tom arrived for his rehearsal. The technician had evidently been attempting to secure a light, for one hung loosely directly above the body from its safety cable. It swung ever so gently on and on and on. And, despite not being connected to the grid, it was lit, shining directly down onto the twisted figure below the figure that had desperately wanted to give Tom one last rehearsal before its curtain call. Then, the ghost light went out. This has been a tale from Dark River, written and hosted by me, Philip Sutka. I also produced the show as well as composed the music for it. The podcast artwork was done by Chris Pasutka. For more history of small-town life in northern Ontario in the early 20th century, be sure to follow our Instagram at Dark River Podcast. Though based on actual history, this story is a work of fiction. Any resemblance to persons living, dead, or other is entirely coincidental and unintentional. Thank you for stopping by, and see you soon.